0: You're listening to a Westpac Wire podcast, westpacwire.com.au. Like most people working in the field of sustainability, I've had to tussle with many complex human rights issues over the past few decades. But none has been as deeply moving or distressing as one of the issues we at Westpac have been grappling with, and that's the role of predators using finance in relation to online child sexual exploitation. My name is Siobhan Tuhill, Westpac's Chief Sustainability Officer, and to help understand the complex issue of online child sexual exploitation in the Philippines, and how anti-slavery organisation International Justice Mission is tackling this issue, I'm joined by Attorney Lucille Tito, Director at International Justice Mission Cebu, Philippines. Hi Lucille, and welcome to Sydney, and thank you so much for taking time to speak with me today. So, Lucille, it was just wonderful to meet with you in Manila um, when I was in the Philippines a few weeks ago. Um, and, uh, you know, importantly, International Justice Mission is a, a critical partner for us as part of the Safe for Children, Safe for Communities program, um, a program that we we established in response to the AUSTRAC uh, Statement of Claim for Westpac. And importantly for you and, and for us, you know, the partnership that we have developed together over the past three years, we're now starting to see incredible impact uh, on the ground. Um, And importantly, this is about tackling the problem of child exploitation um, in the Philippines where this is such a significant uh, challenge. Mm. So I wonder, Lucille, if you can tell me a bit about the international justice mission and in particular, the work that you're leading in Cebu.
1: Mm. Um, Hi, Shaban, It's a gift to be here with you. Um, International Justice Mission is a global organization, and we work in different countries all over the world to combat different forms of violence. And my team in Cebu is combating um, one of the fastest-growing abuse all over the world, and that is online sexual exploitation of children. And so I lead a team of lawyers, investigators, and social workers, and we work closely with local authorities so that victims of this type of abuse are rescued and the perpetrators are also held accountable for their crimes. And we also work with uh, social welfare services to ensure that restoration are there for the children rescued in this type of cases.
0: Um, and can you tell me a bit about your role as a prosecutor? Um, how does that fit into all the activities that, that um, play out?
1: Mm. Um, I am a uh private prosecutor by training and when i used to handle cases i work alongside government prosecutors um to ensure that these type of cases go into the pipeline of the criminal justice system and uh perpetrator accountability are achieved, um, we collaborate closely with government prosecutors to increase their capacity and also to transfer knowledge and skills as well as ensuring that the collaborative type of casework will result to deterrence and as well as um, longer protection for children.
0: Um, And why is online child exploitation um, uh, such a big problem in the Philippines and in particular at the areas that you're working, particularly in, say, the Mindanao region of the Philippines?
1: Uh, The Philippines is the global hotspot of online sexual exploitation of children. And this is the live streaming of sexual abuse of children on the internet. And the predators in this case uh, are not passive offenders. They actively direct and pay to watch the sexual abuse of children. And it is very much driven by the demand um, Australia, along with North America and Europe, create are on the top three of creating this demand. With that demand with that demand fueling uh, the commission of this abuse in the Philippines, there are a lot of enabling factors. Number one is you you might notice the English proficiency in the Philippines are quite high. And because the online sex offenders in this type of abuse are coming from English-speaking countries, that, that enables that transaction to happen. Second is the economic disparity of between the Local traffickers in the source country and the online sex offenders in the demand countries. Third, in the Philippines, you can actually have easy access to inexpensive internet. And then the relative impunity. Just because this is a hidden and a layered crime, traffickers and predators think that they are being shielded by some form of anonymity and thus are are thinking that they can get away with it. So all these enabling factors create that crime of opportunity, which is online sexual exploitation of children.
0: And tell me a bit about the different parts of the Philippines where this has emerged as a hotspot. Do you have any thoughts on why certain parts are more likely for this crime to take place?
1: Yes. Um, In so far as areas where there's high incidence, um, this is not just concentrated in one specific case in the Philippines, basically all over the country. So the Philippines is made up of three main islands. So the Luzon Island is the northern part, and Taguig City is one of the Hotspots or areas where there's high incidence. Um, in the central part where my team is, Cebu is considered a hotspot or a high incident. In the southern part, which is Mindanao, Iligan City um, is also uh, um, a a hotspot or a high incident. But what we're seeing actually, where law enforcement units are strong and are equipped to respond, the hidden crime of OSEC goes to the surface. So it does not mean that this particular area has high incidents that OSEC is only happening there. It only means a strong law enforcement would bring this hidden incidents into the surface. And that's why timely detection is critical. Uh, And you talked a bit
0: about um, how Australia is one of the most significant countries for demand uh, for this crime. Um, How has COVID impacted the prevalence of this
1: activity? COVID, which impacted the whole world, and you can just imagine lockdowns. um, And in this type of cases, this is a family-based crime where um, eight More than 80% of the local traffickers here are family members and relatives. And the children in lockdowns are with their traffickers. Uh, and on the other side, the demand is also going up because the predators have enough time in their hand. They're looking for more entertainment during the lockdowns. And that just created a perfect storm for more children exploited. Um, In fact, the Europol reported that there were a lot of um, websites catering to this type of abuse that crashed down just because of the traffic um, in accessing these websites. And that just gives us a sense of demand. In the UK, 550,000 to 850,000 pose a sexual risk. To children online. So just an indication of the scale of demand. And COVID definitely because of the lockdowns, exacerbated the, the online activity and thus posing more risk to children during that time.
0: Uh, and Lucille, when um, I was in the Philippines a few weeks back, um, we went out to some of the hotspots uh, in Manila to understand where this crime takes place and really, you know, driving down those streets, you would have no idea that this crime is happening behind closed doors. Um, We then uh, went out to a shelter um, and we saw um, children who have been rescued in in recent times and the way in which they've been cared for, um, supported uh, as you work through their particular um, cases and and look to then place them with their uh, kinship communities. Um, And then we also met with um, people who had been rescued some time ago, you know, two, Mm. five, even ten years ago, and the way in which they um, together form a network and then support each other. And it was quite incredible to see in which the way in which they support each other every day. Mm. Um, and in fact, some of them have even created a social enterprise together, um, but also that the work that they do around tackling this problem as well and providing care to, to people who've also been recently rescued. Um, I think you know, bringing the human face to this crime yeah, is, is really powerful. Um, and of course, you've recently been exploring some of those um, case studies as well. I wonder if you could tell us a bit more about the case of Ruby. I mean, her story is is a really powerful one.
1: Yeah, Ruby, uh, I had the privilege of getting to know Ruby, um, and she's one of the survivors of online sexual exploitation. She was 15 years old then when she lost both of her parents, and she was one of the 10 siblings in the family. And you can just imagine in that situation, um, they really have limited access to resources and opportunity to provide for the whole family. And she received a job offer um, to work in an internet, hundreds of miles away from her own hometown. And the usual sugar coated promises of a trafficker that she will be given free food and free lodging. And so she thought, oh, this offer is God's send. I might as well go. Uh, And so she traveled far by boat and to reach this specific area in Pampanga in north of Luzon because Ruby was coming from the central part of um, the Philippines. And so Ruby unfortunately found herself in an online sex trafficking den together with five other girls. And they were locked up inside a house with very thick curtains that they were even forbidden to even look out. And It was an unbelievable realization in her mind when she thought it would have been an opportunity for her to earn a living and provide for her family, but she ended up in a place of exploitation. And she was forced to do whatever the customer would demand of her. And every income that she would earn at every show, would be taken by her recruiter to pay for bills, for food, for shampoo, and whatever the list goes on. So basically, she was in a debt, in a form of debt bondage. And she was really desperate to escape. In fact, if you've been to, um, you know, the streets of of um, Luzon area, the streets are very narrow. And so if there is, um, you know, a police siren would go by, you would really hear it. And every time Ruby would hear a police siren go by, she would scream and hoping that somebody would hear her. Unfortunately, months went by and nobody did. And she was so desperate that when she attempted to escape, her life was threatened with a knife to her throat. And the other girls in that den just looked at her and they shivered in fear. She did not know at that time that... IJM was already working with Philippine law enforcement to track where she is and hopefully bring rescue to her. And so in a few days' time, uh, the National Bureau of Investigations and our team was able to locate her and rescued her, and together with the five other girls who were trapped with her in that house. And the couple who were her recru- recru- recruiters and running and operating the cyber sex den were arrested and are now serving 15 years in prison. And that's just incredible. And now um, she is a leader of the Philippine Survivor Network. I know it was a long road of justice and restoration for Ruby, but seeing Ruby leading um, in that survivor network is just inspirational. And she is not only talking to and raising awareness of the issue in the Philippines, her story and the other survivor's story are speaking and raising awareness of the issue all over the world. And she has been speaking to government leaders, especially in conversations that provide tangible changes to survivors. Um, she has been speaking to government leaders, even in the UK, um, in uh, advocating for um raised and increased sentencing. So just the power of, of elevating survivor voice um, and at least seeing them lead the movement that matters to them is just incredible.
0: Thank you. Um, uh, back when uh, Westpac um, uh, uh, had the Austrac Statement of Claim, um, we recognised that we needed to uh, think about what our role is around remedy. And uh, bring that human rights lens to to what had happened. And through a remedy perspective was how we arrived at supporting international justice mission. We wanted to support an organisation that's working on the ground and we wanted to help them scale up uh, that impact and to tackle uh, this problem and to support the rescue of victims, but also the restoration, as you've spoken about as well. I wonder if you could talk a bit about how that support has helped scale up the support that you've been able to provide to victims as well as law enforcement officers and public prosecutors and others as well.
1: Um, the Pact really supported us in accelerating the work. I remember during that time, we have two offices, one based in north of the Philippines, in Manila, and my team in the central of the Philippines, Cebu. But as we did cases, we found out that a lot of cases are actually also coming from and happening in south of the Philippines, in Mindanao, where we, during that time, we had very limited capacity to support cases in Mindanao. And so it was the timing and also the The capacity that allowed us to support rescues in Mindanao had really a huge impact because when we are looking at the cases and the heat map, the saturation of cases, there are a lot of cases in Mindanao, especially Iligan and northern and northeastern Mindanao. So that was huge for us to support rescues there, even if we don't have a physical office in Mindanao. And just the impact of supporting one rescue operation, Shaban, is huge huge because for a rescue operation that police does in the Philippines will lead to an investigation that will point to Somewhere in the demand countries, in Australia, U.S., and Europe, probably, and that investigation of an online sex offender there would lead to identifying more traffickers in the Philippines and also identifying more children in the Philippines. And that referral and investigation loop will just shine light uh, on the, on the abuses happening in different parts of of the Philippines because of that collaboration among law enforcement. The second impact that um, the support of Westpac has allowed us to do is the launch of our center to end online sexual exploitation, and that is the center of excellence. While Philippines is a global hotspot, the Philippine government and our flagship program in the Philippines as well, is pulling out this rich learning, products, um, research, and studies that the center to end online sexual exploitation of children is able to harness and scale the work in the Philippines globally. And that's just huge because this is a global crime. And the third thing that's also very um, exciting for us that Westpac support has allowed us to do is the scale of harm project, which is this research study that will allow us to measure the prevalence of a certain type of sexual exploitation of children, which is live streamed. Because we see, we saw a gap in data available. The data available is only measuring the scale of child sexual exploitation materials that are second or third generation, meaning these are um, from years ago but the gap is there's no technology or study that's able to measure the live streaming type of sex, uh, child sexual exploitation materials the first generation of these type of materials the scale of harm project attempts to measure that which is really exciting if we have that data and information this will allow us to identify certain gaps that will need responsive interventions. Responsive interventions means more children protected and more perpetrators will be um, restrained and prevented from exploiting more children. And so that is um, a huge uh, project, and we are really excited to be able to do that thanks to the support that Westpac has been allowing us to do.
0: Lucille, also one of the experiences that I had in Manila was we went to the Filipino police and and we saw the work of the Philippines' Internet Crimes Against Children Centre. And what I was struck by was the way in which the Filipino police are working with police um, and investigators from all around the world. Can you tell us a bit about the work that IJM is doing with that centre?
1: Yes, the Philippine Internet crimes against uh children is a global model of international collaboration. Um, OSEC is a global crime and it is very important that governments are coming together to collaborate and ensure that these investigations are are fruitful and will lead to rescues and will lead to arrests. Our role there is really to provide um, our expertise and technical support um, to law enforcement uh, partners, both especially with the Philippine law enforcement partners. And so we do and run uh, trainings, the Advanced Investigative Workshop, which is a specific training for um, investigators working in OSEC cases, because this type of investigation is a bit of a highly nuanced um, and very technical. And we see that investing in those capacities is really important for the Philippine government to better respond to this in collaboration with international law enforcement. And so that has been our work in uh, in that specific center. And it has really done um, tremendous impact in shrinking the space of impunity both in the demand side and in the source side which is the philippines because that's the only way we could actually have a global um, impact in so far as uh, deterrence scaling deterrence
0: so, like, I know also IJM does a lot of work around training, particularly with prosecutors. And I know that one of your um, key principles is how do you build sustainability uh, into government so that more and more of the work is being done by government as opposed to IJM. Can you tell me a bit about that um, approach?
1: Yes, our model has always been and all, in our work all over the world is really to work with the host government, work with the government, at the end of the day, demanded to protect their citizens, lies with the government. And so we engage with the Philippine government to help build their capacity, um, help them uh, respond to these cases through trainings. And the way we um, develop our training is to ensure that it is replicable and it is scalable and that the Philippine government takes ownership of it. Um, oftentimes, we, we say that IJM works its way out of the job. And I think the impact of IJM's work is to be able to see that when we step out uh, from a specific project, that the, the investments there are, um, is sustainable, and it will go on and on. And so we do a lot of training for prosecutors and also um, equipping prosecutors to do the training themselves and scaling the training from island to island. Um, And so we also published um, compendiums and knowledge tools that we co-publish with the Philippine government. Um, And so they could use that as a resource um, and pass it around as well. So those are the kind of um, uh, sustainable investments that we do.
0: Thanks, Lucille. I think it's over to you now.
1: <laughs> yeah, so um, actually, Shaban I've been meaning also to ask, like, the issue of child sexual exploitation is not a problem that one company can solve, right? And we know that how it, important it is to bring other businesses into this dialogue. Has Westpac thought of working with other companies to address this specific issue as well?
0: Thanks, Lucille, and I think, and a bit like you've been thinking about, and um, IJM is incredibly focused around our sustainability. You know, how do others um, become engaged and begin to address this problem over time? And build out more sustainable models. We've been thinking about that in terms of our Safe for Children, Safe for Communities program as well. And this has got to be much bigger than Westpac. We can't solve this problem on our own. Um, so one of the um, significant grants that we made um, a while back was to the Australian Childhood Foundation, um, and we've supported them to establish the Australian Child Safeguarding Coalition. We're in the early co-design phase at the moment. We've had a couple of workshops. Uh, and what we've been doing is we've identified some organisations, some companies around Australia who too also share our interests and our commitment to safeguarding children. Uh, That includes uh, companies that are working in um, uh, online um, social media. It could be companies that are involved in insurance or other aspects of financial services, Um, companies that are um, are doing all sorts of different things in the Australian community, but where children might be a significant part of their day-to-day operations or that they have some sort of tangential impact on children or They're mindful that perhaps some aspect of their business could have some unintended consequences for children. I think what's been really wonderful is that people have kind of come to this to realise that if we get it right for children, we're actually setting up our communities to be better, safer into the future. And that we actually have a responsibility to this group of people who are, in fact, amongst some of the most vulnerable members of our community, children. We have a responsibility uh, to them. Um, So what I've been really proud of is, is to see how those um, companies have come together. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a genuine willingness to learn from each other um, and to uh, bring other companies on board around how we provide this focus around um, keeping children safe. And that this has got to be one of um, our most significant areas of of focus and priority. You know, for me, if I think about sustainability and my agenda um, of my team uh, within a a company like Westpac, we'll have only been successful if we've got it right for children today, um, long-term into the future, that we've helped them to be safe today so that they can be really successful as they grow older um, and fulfil their role within community as well. And I think that's um, how other companies have, um, have approached this. It is a really difficult topic to talk about. Um, and my sense is that we will only be successful if we have more organisations, more companies willing to talk about um, crimes like the online sexual exploitation of children. And that means that also we need to be working with other um, partners as well. And so importantly, um, we've had um, groups like the E Safety Commission, um, and other organizations, particularly not-for-profit organizations who work in this space as well, collaborating with businesses in terms of how we work together uh, to lift awareness.
1: Mm. It's, it is incredible to see how um, Westpac is also um, taking other um, organizations um, in a very collaborative way. I'm curious, uh, it, has it been a challenge to get people, People, especially within the corporate sector, engage with the issue of OSEC. And what are your thoughts on, like, why Australian businesses should have the responsibility to protect children here and even overseas? And how did you overcome those reservations, if you have encountered any?
0: Yeah, look, I think there there are reservations. It is not an easy conversation to have, and we know that from our own experience here at Westpac. It is. Um, it's taboo. Um, No one wants to really talk about this. Uh, I think what's been interesting for us as we've been working with organisations is that um, some um, organisations, particularly in the the charitable sector, have got their own stories um, that were um, brought to light um, during the Royal Commission into um, sexual exploitation of children. Uh, And so... um, I guess there's been a sense of these kinds of um, crimes can touch all kinds of organisations, all kinds of businesses, even charities. Um, it can happen to any of us. And in fact, we've all got to be vigilant around um, uh, keeping, um, having the right processes, controls in place around ensuring this doesn't happen. But at the same time, when it does happen, what is your responsibility? And it's not just about your own organisation, but a sense of a bigger a wider view around lifting um, awareness as well. So how do you kind of break through um, that, um, I guess, concern or or resistance? I think you've got to start where you're gonna find people within organisations who are most engaged. Mm. So quite often it is people working in the community side of a business or people working in sustainability roles or people who are working in roles that are outward facing um, dealing with stakeholders. It's about working with them to to lift um, that awareness and engagement to help them understand that actually thinking about children is a really important place for any kind of business in Australia to think about and to think about um, our collective responsibility, but also the way in which we can support each other in terms of solving or um, addressing, uh, starting to address this kind of problem as well. So I think it's about finding the right people, um, knowing people within the organisation who are senior enough to have influence at the most senior levels of that organisation, but also understanding how we as businesses all intersect together. Often, um, or many of the organisations that we're working with are are customers or suppliers, and that we all touch into each other in how we do our business every day. Um, We're all um, responsible for um, preparing modern slavery statements. these are things that we need to be thinking about um, within our organizations. But actually, if we lift it up, there's something we can do to actually address the problem as well with the right partners around us.
1: Mm. And as you were working on this particular um, issue and advocacy, if I may say, like, what has been the most difficult that you have experienced, but at the same time, what has been the most hopeful
0: Oh, look, great question. There's been so many um, moments where it's been really hard. Mm. Um, And, you know, for me, it was November 2019. That was really hard, Mm. knowing that Westpac um, had um, um, a product that had been linked to this kind of crime. I think um, then for me, being in Manila, and I must admit, you know, the trepidation I felt kind of um, getting ready to go overseas and I thought, oh, gosh, all those feelings are going to come up again. Um, but in fact it was um it was incredible to be there and to see the work on the ground. And I think um it was challenging but also um remarkable um being in the shelter and seeing children who were victims of this crime and particularly um uh the, the child that was the youngest child at the shelter and um and I was quite um, intentional. I really wanted to stand back. Mm-hmm. I just I, I didn't want to um, get in the way of, of their lives. Um, but it was wonderful to see the um, the IJM team um, interacting with the children. That was um, wonderful. But I said to myself, when I was in that space, I must never forget this. This is the reason why we do this work. These are the people that you know we have a responsibility to support. And you know the reason why um, these children are here is that a whole bunch of systems have broken down. Um, And my organisation could be one of the organisations that can actually strengthen the systems to make sure that this kind of crime, that these children are not impacted into the future. So it was kind of a real moment for me where it all kind of came together. And it was difficult. But then that afternoon, we met um, a group of people who had been through um, a restorative process in that they um, had... You know, many years on since they had um, been rescued as victims uh, and now a survivors network, um, people who have been rescued two, five, even ten years ago and the way in which they support each other and the way in which they um, support each other with a real sense of joy and purpose. Their involvement in helping to um, tackle this problem as well was, was quite profound. Um, that was, a, to me, a real highlight to see the impact mm-hmm. of the work of IJM and so many others as well. I think the other highlight for me was also just seeing how the team at IJM work. As I said, I approached um, my trip to Manila, I was nervous, I thought it was uh, it was gonna be really, I've, I thought I was gonna be, feel really sad, um, but in fact, It was a real lesson to me that the way in which the IJM team brings this very intentional mindset of positivity, of joy, clearly the amount of work that's done around vicarious trauma training is, is really critically important, and I heard team members talk about that. But a sense of the positive impact that you create through your jobs every single day, the way in which you support each other, and you bring this positive mindset to your work was incredible and it was a real lesson for me. I walked away from that and thought that's an incredible mindset that I must bring to my work and that I need to share with other people around if anyone has a difficult job it's the work that you, your team does um, but actually you're quite deliberate around seeing the positiveness in, in the work that you do every day. So so thank you for that. That was an unexpected um, moment and, um, and one that I'll always treasure.
1: Awesome and Like you said, like the work is so heavy and sometimes daunting and enormous, but the only way to get through and power through is seeing it from the lens of hope. Um, And that's just special. Um, Shaban, what do you want to ask individuals within Westpac and the community to be a part of ending online sexual exploitation of children? Well,
0: firstly, we need to talk about it. We can't just hide it away. We can't pretend it's not happening. It's happening. It's getting worse. Um, there are organisations that are doing great work to, to prevent this, um, to um, support victims. But we need people to be aware about it. And, and they need to know that it's wrong. And they need to know that there are things that can be done to tackle this problem. So you know, inform yourself. Get to know what is actually happening and speak up against it. Uh, and you know, raise awareness with people around you. Then think about your own family and think about your own community. um, And look at the work of the eSafety Commission, for example. Understand what are your children doing? Um, How are they interacting with the internet? Uh, This crime is happening everywhere. We've heard a lot about what's happening in the Philippines, but also we know that it also happens in other parts of the world as well. So take responsibility around this problem within your own family, within your own community, and speak up Um, and be proud of the work of IJM and and other organisations and the work that Westpac is doing um, and uh, speak up about it and communicate how important this kind of work is. Mm Um, Lucille, I just want to say thank you so much. It's been an absolute privilege to hear from you today and to understand much more deeply around what is happening on the ground in the Philippines. I want to thank you so much for sharing your insights. Um, and I also just want to thank you and the team uh, for um, hosting me and, and uh, Kavita when we were in, the, in Manila a few weeks ago. And I'm really looking forward to even greater impact as Westpac looks to extend its funding to IJM for another two years and recognising that long-term support and sustained funding is critical to continue rescue operations, aftercare programs, advocacy, and involvement in arresting and prosecuting criminals, and to support you as an organisation to build that long-term sustainability with government.
1: Thank you so much, Shaban. and this has been a gift to be here, and just knowing the impact that your support has brought in my country, in the Philippines, is just incredible. Thank you, Shaban. That's all from us today at Westpac Wire. For more, head to westpacwire.com.au.